the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. See, the way that we're going to be judged, we will be judged based on the same severity that you judge others. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. See, Jacob had learned over the years, we need God's compassion. The original word for compassion in the Hebrew means mercy. See, mercy is not getting what you deserve, okay, but rather God giving you favor instead. So when we seek for God's compassion, we are not looking for what we deserve. Don't ever pray to God, God, give me what I deserve. lightning bolt comes down, there's a ball of ashes, okay? Okay, so no, never pray that God gives you what you deserve, okay? We're looking for compassion. We're looking for mercy. We're looking for favor. We're looking for God's grace. You know, they needed this man to grant them favor. This is why it's so important for us to treat others with compassion. We should treat others with tenderness because we will all, listen, we will all be judged in the same manner as the severity in which we judge those around us. Did you get that? See, the way that we're going to be judged, we will be judged based on the same severity that you judge others. This is why we need to be very compassionate with those around us. Matthew 7, 2, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You know, so easy to look at a speck in someone's eye. God's saying, why don't you take the telephone pole out of your own eye first, then you can take the speck out of your brother's eye. Yes, we should always think twice about the way that we treat other people. For we will reap the same treatment by others as we have treated those around us. And how much more should we treat those with love and compassion Those that we love, how much more should we do that? Those that are closest to us, those that we really care about. So since we're asking about this or we're talking about it right now, let me just ask you here today, since we're all here, how is that going for you? How do you treat others around you? How do you treat your spouse? How do you treat your children? How do you treat your stepchildren? How do you treat your neighbor? How do you treat 
your coworkers. Again, we might be the only Bible that those around us will ever read. That's if they know that you're a Christian. So what are they reading in your life? I mean, are the people reading in your life uh, nothing but a life filled with drama? Oh, yeah, there's the Christian. Yeah, they're the ones that are always filled with drama. I think they got baptized in lemon juice because they're just kind of just a little tart, a little nasty, you know. Maybe you're just a mystery to people. They look at you like they can't figure you out. Maybe all you talk is in Christianese. Oh, yeah, it's all about the blood, brother. Oh, yes, sister. What, blood? The blood? What are you talking? It's all about the blood? I mean, all they're thinking is they have to go jump in a jacuzzi filled with pig blood or something. I mean, they don't, they don't even know what that means, you know? Maybe you're just a mystery to them. They can't figure you out. Or worse yet, they just see nothing in you. You're a Christian, but it's kind of a blank slate. You never talk to anyone about the Lord. Don't forget We as Christians, we're called to point people to Christ. This is our purpose. This is why we're still here today. It's why the rapture that we're going to be talking about tonight, it's why it hasn't happened yet. Because we still have an opportunity to tell others about Jesus. And we just happen to live in a city that's filled with mostly non-Christians. So you got a lot of people to talk to. Yes, well, getting back to our text, the brothers arrive back in Egypt for the second time. And Joseph arranges a dinner at his own house. What? Like, we're going to go to dinner at the prime minister's house? What are you talking about? This throws his brothers for a loop. They didn't understand. Why is this man who's been so hard on us inviting us to his own home? Are you serious? Which brings up our second point, an unexpected kindness. Let's pick up and read again, starting in verse 19. So they came near to Joseph's house, steward, And spoke to him at the entrance of the house. So now they're talking to Joseph's kind of right-hand man. And they said in verse 20, Oh, my Lord, we indeed came down from the first time to buy food. And it came about when we came to the lodging place that we opened our sacks. And behold, each man's money was in the mouth of the sack. Our money in full. So we have brought it back to you right here. Look, we didn't steal the food. We don't know how the money got back, but here's the money from the first time around. And we have also brought down other money in our hand to buy some more food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. And he said, this is the steward here, verse 23, be at ease. Do not be afraid. <laughs> like, oh, I mean, they're all like, you know, they're sweating bullets here. You know, it's like, ah, be at ease. Don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Oh, and here's your brother. Yeah, we let him out of prison for you. Then the man brought the men into Joseph's house. They're in the man's house. They're in the prime minister's house. And he gave them water and he washed their feet. And he gave their donkey's fodder. That's just some food. So they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they had heard that they were to eat a meal there. And when Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present, which was in their hands, and they bowed to the ground before him. So here's all the pistachio nuts, you know, here's all the goods, you know. Okay, verse 27, he said, then he asked him about their welfare, and he said, is your old father well of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And he said, your servant Our father is well. He is still alive. Uh, And they bowed down in homage. Remember the dream that he had many chapters ago? They would all be bowing down to him. Verse 29, as he lifted his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he said, 
Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke of me? I mean, this is his little baby brother. His mother died having him. And he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. So Joseph, in verse 30, hurried out, for he was deeply stirred over his brother. And he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and he wept there. Oh, wow. It's too much for him. Yes, this has been a confusing relationship with the 10 older brothers uh, and Jacob's sons, you know, as this game of cat and mouse continues. I mean, Joseph is, is toying with him here and his brothers can't figure it out. Why is this man, the second most powerful man in Egypt, having this over to his house again? Like, like you ever in a situation where like nothing is making sense here? This left them nervous. It didn't, it didn't comfort them. They were scared. That's when they totally confess that, oh, man, hey, the money that was in our sacks, we didn't take that, really. Here, we brought it all back for you, you know. We didn't steal it. We're so sorry. And do you see what Joseph is seeing here now, though, in his brothers? They're all being honest about everything. A huge change from their past of lies and deception about him being eaten by a wild animal years ago as they tried to cover it up them selling him as a common slave. Yet now we see a little compassion squeak out. Verse 23, Joseph Stewart, again, his, his right-hand man, I'm sure he's aware of this whole story. I'm sure Joseph shared the whole thing with him of his brothers. But notice how he tries to confront them. First, in verse 23, he says, be at ease. Don't be afraid. Boy, have you ever just been like totally stressed out and you're sharing with your friend or something, you're sharing with your, your parent, you're sharing with someone, or another brother and sister in Christ, like, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's like, man, I'm freaking out here. And they just say, hold on, brother. Hey, let's pray. It's all going to be okay. Man, God's got this in control. Man, God causes all things to work together for good. All of a sudden, they start quoting scripture to you. Everything just starts changing. Like just one person with a voice of reason. Hey, it's going to be okay. It's like a wave, a tsunami of peace going into your soul because that's what God does. He was saying, why are you so anxious? Relax, settle down. Then he said, now this is the Egyptian assistant to Joseph. He says, you're God and the God of your father. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? What is he saying? What did you just say? My God and the God of our father? Wait a minute. What does this Egyptian know about our God and the God of our father? It must have seemed crazy to them. Then Joseph gets home, and in verse 27, he starts talking about his father Jacob. Is he well? Is he okay? Is your dad okay? Is your dad okay? I want to know. You know. Then Joseph sees Benjamin. He hasn't seen him since he was just a small little, maybe, you know, three, four years old. And he just can't hold it in anymore. Verse 30 says he was deeply stirred. It hit him like a wall. His emotions took over. You ever have that situation? I remember when my daughter was getting married and everyone was asking me, has it hit you yet? It's like, has it hit me yet? It's like, has it hit you yet? No, what are you talking? She's getting married. It's like, you know, not losing a daughter and gaining a son-in-law, you know? It's like, has it hit you yet? No, what are you talking about? And then came the rehearsal. And I remember my secretary was the wedding coordinator for Harvest. And I remember I was walking my daughter down the aisle and we get down there and she, she goes, okay, now she grabs my daughter's hand, puts it on her husband and everything. And she's talking to them. And I'm just standing there and she looks at me. And she goes, uh, you're done. Go sit down. I'm done. 
It was like a two by four in the face. Whack, whack, whack. It's like, you're not needed anymore. You're no longer the dad. She's gone. And I'm just like, eh, eh, eh. Okay, that was it. It hit me like a wall. I started crying like a baby that night. I got up the next morning, my wife went to bed early. She didn't see me wailing like a baby on the couch that night. So she's up in the morning. She's in the mirror. I came and wrapped around her. I'm, <laughs> okay, you know that kind of crying where you can't get, <laughs> okay, it's like I was just, I was a mess. It just hit him like a wall. This is what happened. It's like his emotions took over. You know, remember, it's been over two decades since he was ripped away from his family, sold as a slave, put in the prison, falsely charged, all of these things. All these emotions are flooding his mind. They're tearing into the very core of his soul. He's literally shaking inside. Everything that he has suppressed for all of these years, the pain, the loneliness, the abandonment, the heartaches, the anger, all the missed birthdays and holidays, all the laughter and joy of his family that's all been stripped from him is all now resurfacing, and it's just too much for Joseph. So he has to remove himself quickly, runs into another room, and just starts wailing and crying. Well, he regains his composure, washes his face, and he reappears to his brothers, which, of course, they're completely clueless. Like, I don't don't know where he went. Maybe he had to go to the bathroom, you know? (laughs) You never know. (laughs) Then in verse 33 and 34, he seats them all, it says, in the order of their birth. Now you have to wonder, what are these brothers thinking? Why is this man so interested in our family? Why does he keep asking about us? Why do they talk about the God of our father? And, you know, you know, how does he know about our birth order? How does he put us in order? Well, after the meal, they're given a huge amount of food to take back home. Oh, Joseph's going to make sure that that family all gets taken care of because he knew all of their wives and their kids. And it's like, oh, I'm going to make sure I'm hooking you guys up. Yet Joseph isn't done playing the game of cat and mouse. He's not quite done with them yet. He has another trick up his sleeve. This time he sends them away, but he puts a personal silver cup out of his home into Benjamin's bag. Ooh, You know, look at it. Chapter 44, flip a page. 44, verse 3 says, As soon as it was light, the men were sent away. So everything's been good. Like this has been the best trip ever. God heard our prayers of compassion, kindness, and mercy. It's all been great. They get up in the morning. They get their donkeys. Verse 4, they had just gone out of the city, and they were not far away when Joseph said to his house steward, Up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Oh, yes, this story is playing out just like Joseph had planned it. And when they were overtaken by this military guard that stopped them in their tracks, Joseph's brothers were offended by the accusation like, what? We took something from your house? You showed us that nice meal? We didn't take nothing from your house. We didn't steal anything from you. They were so confident in their innocence Look at what they say in Genesis 44, verse 8. It says, Behold, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks, did we not bring it back to you from the first trip? 
We brought it back to you from the land of Canaan. How then would we steal silver or gold from the Lord's house? How would we do that? With whomever you, uh, of one of your servants, it is found in, let that person die. And we will all be slaves to you. He goes, you know what? You guys are falsely accusing us. No can do. If you find that piece of silver in one of our sacks, let him die instantly and the rest of us will serve you as slaves. They open up the bags. It's in Benjamin's bag. You ever been just defeated? Just like, I mean, just the wind out of your sails. Just like, just my life is over. I'm sure when they saw that bag of anyone, Benjamin, no, not Benjamin, anyone but Benjamin. What can it be? Simeon. We don't care about him anyway. Yeah, jump that dog. No, it's Benjamin. It's, it's dad's favorite. He's the youngest. Benjamin, I can do this. I, I didn't do it. I, I didn't touch it. I don't know how it got there. It's like, yo, you idiot. Oh, oh they got to have to somehow reason with Joseph because we can't kill Benjamin. Oh my goodness, like killing our dad. Let's read it. It says in chapter 44, verse 16. So Judah said, so Judah, he's stepping up to the plate. He's the mediator. What can we say to my Lord? He's talking to Joseph. Look, I don't even know what to say. There's not even words to say here. He says, what can we speak? And how can we justify ourselves? There's no justification. The piece of silver was in Benjamin's bag. I mean, we all saw it with our own eyes. God has found out this iniquity in your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. Like, man, we just submit to you. We're your slaves. There's nothing that can be said. Verse 17. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do this. The man in whose possession the cup has been found, he shall be my slave. But as for you, Go in peace to your father. I'll just keep Benjamin here. (laughs) It's like verse 18. Then Judah approached him and said, Oh, my Lord, may your servant please speak a word to my Lord's ears and do not be angry with your servant for you are equal to Pharaoh. See, they're recognizing his position. Like we know you're the man. We know that whatever you say, it goes. But man, I've got to talk to you. Please, please hear me out. Verse 19. My Lord asked his servants, look, you asked us saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have an old father and a little child of his old age. Now his brother is dead. Talking about Joseph, who he's talking to, which he doesn't know. So he alone is, uh, uh, is left of his mother. Talking about Rachel and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me. So we did exactly what you told us to do that I may set my eyes on him. But we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. You said to your servants, however, unless your younger brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. Like, don't you dare come on my property without that younger brother. So we did, just like what you said, verse 24. Thus it came about when we went up to your servant, my father. We told him all the words that you said. And it says, verse 25, our father said, go back and buy a little food. But we said, we cannot go down there if our youngest brother is not with us. Then we will go down, for we cannot see this man's face unless our younger brother is with us. So your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons, talking about Rachel. Rachel. 
And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, talking about Joseph. And I have not seen him since. If you take this one, Benjamin, also from me, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol, or hell, in sorrow. Verse 30, now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us since his life is bound up in the lad's life. Like my, my dad, his life is bound up in this kid. You don't understand. When he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die on the spot. And he's thinking back 20 years ago plus when they told him that Joseph was ripped up by an animal. No one could console him. Remember when we studied that? Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant's father down to Sheol or hell and sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad of my father saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, verse 33, key in on this. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad. My life for his a slave to my Lord. I'll be your slave forever. I'll serve you. But let the lad go with his brothers. For how shall I go to my father if the lad is not with me? For fear I will see evil that would overtake my father. Wow, what a change in heart of these brothers, huh? 20 years later, they're all confronted with the pain that caused their father over two decades earlier by covering up their sin of selling their own brother to slave traders, then telling their father that Joseph was eaten by a wild animal, trying to cover their own wickedness. But here we are, 20 plus years later, the guilt and the shame is right there. It's just right there. They can't get rid of it. See, NASA said that somehow 13.7 billion years ago, there was a massive explosion. And out of that explosion, all the elements came to the earth to start this evolutionary process. And everything evolved from there. And these molecules all came and they started sticking together as cells. And they one day became a monkey. And that monkey, he, he started walking a little more upright, a little bit more upright, and he became Neanderthal man and Cro-Magnum man. And, and all of a sudden, you know, bing, walla, bing, here we are as humans today. See, so humanity tells us your existence came from nothing, an explosion. Your existence came from an animal that evolved into you. So your great-great-grandfather could be an orangutan, Okay. That's what man says is your existence. God says, I refute that. He says, I created you in my own image. You're created in the image of God. And every single one of you have a purpose. There's a reason for your life. There's a reason why you're alive today. God has purpose for each and every one of you. And so if you take man's purpose that you just evolved out of an animal, then you can act like an animal and it's okay. But if you say, I am a product and I am made in the image of God, you have to answer to God one day. Why is it that people 20 years later, like we're seeing in our text, are still dealing with guilt of something they did so long ago? You know why? You know why they feel guilty? Because they're guilty. And if you are still experiencing shame for something, it's because you did something shameful. Isn't it amazing how God says in his word that he writes his word upon the fleshly tablets of our heart? God gives us all a conscience. 
See, so we're accountable. And see, that conscience inside, when we feel guilt, it's saying you're going to stand before God one day. You're feeling guilty because you did something wrong. See, do you really have to read Exodus 20 where it lists the Ten Commandments for the first time? Do you have to read that really to know that thou shalt not steal? Or don't you already just know it instinctively? It's like God, even though he writes it in his word, he instinctively puts it inside of us. So when we're doing something wrong, when we're throwing someone under the bus, we're backstabbing someone, talking behind their back. We know it's wrong. You don't have to be told it's wrong. You already know it. And you're going to stand before God. And it's just like, it's amazing how that guilt and that shame can just rest on you forever. You've did something 20 years ago, 10 years ago, last week, 30 years ago, doesn't matter. It's still sitting there. So Jesus says to every one of you, my life for yours. I lay my life on the cross for you so that you can be forgiven. So that you don't have to carry the guilt and the shame with you like these brothers did for 20 plus years. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app, available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to P.O. Box 347-89, Los Angeles, California, 90034. 